0: With that, I'm going to welcome our speaker this morning. It feels like a guest speaker now. <laughs> but we are really blessed and honored to have Pastor Lanny sharing the message of the Lord with us here today. So if you will all rise even at home and welcome Pastor Lanny. Uh... <laughs> That's an interesting experience to be called the guest speaker at our father's house. Now, I'm going to take one minute to underscore how important I consider it to be that you hear Jay's voice when he says, get your stuff together. On more than one occasion, I have been left with a shocked widow. And the first thing they always ask is, will I be able to keep my house? None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. So plan as if you don't have tomorrow and quit putting off these necessary steps to ensure you don't leave Pastor Jay with a mess. You're welcome. (laughs) Well, the last time I was with you, I, I... I was reporting uh, a national survey by Legionnaire Ministries and Lifeway Research on the state of theology in America. And one of the things that we looked at was the uh, confusion about who Jesus is. There was a large percentage of folks who said that Jesus was God's first created being. And the moment you accept that heresy, the gospel of salvation collapses. And we explored that together. Now, <clears throat> in, in looking at the Trinity, we have to, we have to consider something called pneumatology. That's a, that's a classroom word that speaks to the theology of the Holy Spirit. Because in this same survey, we found that a lot of of people are confused as to whether or not the Holy Spirit is a person or a force. Many Americans and evangelicals in that mix believe that from 53 to 72 percent of the responders are clearly confused about who the Holy Spirit is. Now, I have my own opinions about why that might be. Some of it's the lack of education in churches where people are not being taught. And in some of those churches, they shy away from the third person of the Holy Spirit because you take him out of the picture and you can control things. If your if you're Trinity is Father, Son, Holy Bible, then you don't have to deal with the Spirit. You just live by the letter of the law. And the law never produces mature sons it only produces slaves and clones. It is a contributing factor to the hypocrisy that the church is rightly accused of by this society because we speak one thing by the letter of the law and we live apart from that law. So there, there's a lot of uh, reasons the American public is confused, but it, what troubles me most is the confusion in the body of Christ. Not only are people confused about... Jesus being God, the ignorance concerning the third person of the Holy Spirit is, is alarming to me, and I will develop that alarm as we go forward. But among the American, uh, 32% of the American population and 46% of evangelicals within that 32% believe the Holy Spirit as a force and not a personal being. Only 24% of those polled disagreed with that statement. Let that sink in for a moment. Because the denial of the personhood of the Holy Spirit puts you in a place of ignorance that makes you susceptible to other spirits. In the name of the Holy Spirit. What I found even worse was one in five evangelicals believe that the Holy Spirit can tell you to do something that's in direct contradiction with the Scripture. I certainly hope this is coming as shocking news to you and not inwardly you're going, well, yeah, of course. (laughs) So I want us to spend some time uh, on this thing called the Trinity. And for you movie lovers, when I use the word Trinity, I'm not talking about Neo's love in the Matrix trilogy. Okay. We're talking about the three in one Godhead. So back in the beginning, we read these words. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, which is more correctly translated. Let us make man as our image and as our likeness. The moment you change that one word to be more consistent with the actual uh, Hebrew rather than the the ease of reading this in English, you have a very different concept immediately. But the question I ask is, when, when the scripture says, let us, who is the us that we're talking about? Now if, this, if the scripture introduces something, it has a certain obligation to reveal the something to us. So I'm going to take us directly to a, a, a passage in Hebrews chapter 9, and we're going to read this. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to the living God? How many persons are addressed there? How many? All right. Thank you. In some of the classes I took along the way, you knew that there was going to be a question because the professor would say, Now listen. And you would write that down because in in undergraduate work, you you learn to the test. You don't learn the information. So when we take a look at what Hebrews 9 has to say, we see him addressed as the eternal spirit. Now, when you say he is the eternal spirit, that means there was never a time when he did not exist. Okay. What do you call someone who has no beginning and no end? If you're dyslexic, it's okay to say, dog, I know what you're talking about. (laughs) The eternal spirit, if he's to be called God, has to have three attributes. He has to be omniscient. He has to be omnipotent. And he has to be omnipresent. Those are the three attributes of God. So if we're going to call the eternal spirit that, we have to let the scripture instruct us as to whether or not he possesses these attributes. Now, some of you have some familiarity with the scripture. Now, call our attention to Psalm 139 as we consider the possibility that the eternal spirit is omnipresent. That means he is everywhere. In Psalm one thirty nine, beginning verse seven, reads like this: "Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee if you're from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If my if I make my bed in Sheol, that is the world of the dead, the grave. If I go into the nether world, you're there. And if I take the wings of the dawn and I dwell in the remotest part of the earth, even there your hand will lead me, and your hand will lay hold of me. So." Where can you go to get away from the Spirit of God? Nowhere. Why? Because he's everywhere. That makes him omnipresent. And if he is God, then there are other passages of Scripture that confirm that. For instance, Jeremiah 23 reads like this, Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? Now, if God says that of himself and the Holy Spirit is that agency where you cannot hide. I, always, I was always amused when somebody will do something visual for me, like people fleeing from God. I'm, I'm going to run away from God. And he goes, OK, run. <laughs> uh, I've always enjoyed that. <clears throat> the eternal spirit is everywhere. Now, if he's omniscient, then he must know everything. And how can we say that the Spirit knows everything? Well, we have to look to the scripture. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we read this. For to us, God revealed them. Talking about the things of God. To us, God revealed them. How? Through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For Who? among men knows the thought of a man, except the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows, except who? The Spirit of God. Now, when you ignore the person of the Holy Spirit, you set yourself up to be blind. Because if you refuse to relate to him, you cut yourself off from the access he can give you to the revelatory realm. When you cry out, God, what am I supposed to do? He is disposed to answer you. But he does so rarely by an audible word. I've I've had two audible encounters with the Lord in my 50 something years of walking after the Lord. Usually he illuminates my understanding by his spirit. Because the Spirit knows what the Lord wants done, and He is prepared to say so to those of us who have a heart to pursue His interests in the earth and be His representative. So, is uh, if He is omnipresent, and if He is omniscient, is He also omnipotent? Well, the Scripture says this. There, there I, I just you know there are lots of things. I just picked several one is his activity in creation. The agent of creation, after the word was spoken, something, someone had to make all of this stuff happen. And the scripture says, the spirit was hovering. Any of you ever, ever, ever raised chickens? Been around chickens being raised? We had chickens when I was growing up. And uh when they would cluck in the sense of danger, all the little biddies would come running to mama, and she'd drape her wings down over them. Okay? The spirit was hovering over the face of the waters, awaiting the command, and became the agency that initialized everything that the scripture says God saw it, and it was good. Now, later, we're going to trans- translate from that portion of creation to a particular issue where Jesus, uh, Hebrews says, oh Jesus, sacrifice and offerings you would not, but a body you have prepared for me. Now who prepared the body for the coming of Christ? The angel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and that holy thing will be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit was the instrument of of the crafting of the encasement for the eternal that came into that womb. That's what your Bible says. Now how did Jesus execute the remarkable things that he did and then say to the Apostles when he comes you'll do this stuff too. Who is the instrument of power from eternity into time and space? It is the eternal spirit. He is the one. And Jesus said, on our behalf, it's expedient for you that I go, because if I don't go, he can't come. But when he comes, he will be both with you and where? And in you. This eternal spirit is part of our inheritance in the earth. If Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, who is the Lord in the earth? The resident Lord is the eternal spirit. Because he is our umbilical cord to the eternal. The life of God flows into us through his agency within this encasement. Once once you're reconciled to the Father through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you get a battery installed. It's an eternal battery and it will never leave you or forsake you. This is called good news. Now, in addition to being part of creation, crafting the body, being the power of the Most High on display in the earth, Peter says this about the activity of the Eternal Spirit For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive. Through the spirit. If he raises the dead. I think this is an indication he's pretty powerful. And if all these things be true. Then it is legitimate to start talking about the eternal spirit. As God the Holy Spirit. Now I want to spend some time on this issue. Of the Holy Spirit. There's a reason he is called the Holy Spirit. And it's important for us to lay hold of that. I, um, I grew up in this King James Version stuff. And it's always the Holy Ghost. And as a child, we didn't think ghosts were particularly Casper friendly. Uh, ghost stories and all the kind of stuff you do to scare one another. Um, it, it worked against the revelation of God, the Holy Spirit for me. But as we consider the, the label, the Holy Spirit, it's important that we get a hold of some of what that means in terms of his person affecting our person. Um, I learned just moments before I came to the platform, I got a notice that says Your battery is degrading, which is an alert to me that I'm going to have to replace it. But in the meantime, we have this extraordinary thing called electricity. I am familiar with it in a variety of ways because I've been on the receiving end of some of its administration. And that's why they say, turn the breaker off before you begin this particular exercise. Now, in this, um, in this teaching, I have made a point of starting out in Hebrews chapter 9 so we could look at the label, the eternal spirit. That's an important thing for us to stand, understand. But when you start to talk about the idea of the Holy Spirit, there are things that you need to get clear in your understanding for it to be meaningful to you. So I'm going to, I'm going to take something that looks like it's totally unrelated to this topic to try to make a point. And I want to look in Leviticus chapter 13, and many of you know that on a really restless night, you just can't seem to get to sleep if you open up the book of Leviticus and start reading... Or any chapter, really, because I've concluded the devil would rather give you sleep than let you meditate on the word at night. So anyhow, in Leviticus chapter uh, 13, there are are elements here that should inform us. And and in verse uh, 45 and 46, it reads like this. As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn and the hair of his head shall be uncovered. And he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. That's the law. In numbers 1922, we read furthermore: anything that the unclean person touches shall be unclean, and the person who touches it shall be unclean until evening. So what happens when a clean, ceremonially clean person? Touches a ceremony or an actual unclean thing. You become unclean. And there are, there's a prescription for your behavior. Now, this law was in effect even when Jesus came onto the scene. So, in Matthew 8, in chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 2, a leper comes to Jesus and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And the Lord said, I'm willing. And he reached out and touched the leper and the leper became. I thought Jesus was supposed to be come unclean. Did he break the law? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. Why? Because he is superior to the law. All of that stuff was a shadow to instruct us about what would happen when the Messiah arrived. So what is the connection between Jesus healing a leper and calling the eternal spirit holy? Please tell me, Pastor. I'm glad you asked. Okay, here we go. In the LifeWay study, the American public responded to this statement. Everyone who sins a little, everyone sins a little, but most people are basically good. You will note that only 28 percent of the population disagreed with that statement. Now, one of the reasons they disagree is this. They're ignorant. The other reason is they deny objective truth. And when you deny objective truth, it means truth is whatever you define it to be. And your opinion is just as good as my opinion, because it's all about relativity. In addition, they ask another question, Even the smallest sin deserves deserves eternal damnation. And if you look at that, you see 65% of the population disagree with that statement at some level. There are two fallacies represented in this survey. The first is this. Despite what you might personally think, the Bible is clear that people are not Basically good. And if you have that foolish notion in your mind. You need to hit the delete button right away. People are not basically good. Therefore just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all have. All have sin and come short of. Okay now. The misnomer in this is thinking that you have to sin to be identified as a sinner. You don't have to sin to become a sinner. You sin because you are a sinner. Why? Because you come from a lineage of sinners. Once Adam sinned, that nature was transferred to all of us. Listen to this. In Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Even as everybody else. So the notion that people are basically good drives many of the social programs and political decisions of this country and every other country. When you think that people are basically good, you're going to give them the benefit of the doubt over and over and over. Even at this present time, laws that are designed to protect us from criminals are being washed away because, well, they're just misunderstood. They have been victimized. There's been all kinds listen, you've got a sin nature, you're going to do sin. How many of you taught your two-year-old to bite somebody? You don't have to teach them to misbehave. Why? Because they have a sin nature. So to say that people are basically good is an erroneous thought. Now, again, what has Jesus healing a leper and us being sinners by nature got to do with the Holy Spirit? Let's connect the dots. Don't want to leave you hanging. Maybe I shouldn't say we'll continue this next. No, it's quite simple. As sinners, we are all unclean. Can we start there? And when you're touched by the Holy Spirit, you're made clean. From that touch forward into eternity, the scripture calls you holy. And being holy is not about your behavior. Being holy is about the ascription that God assigns when the spirit of God comes in. Listen to this statement. Uh, several scriptures first. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? I, I'm always amused when I hear the, the expression, I'm a self-made man. No, you're not. God gives you the power to make wealth. He preempts whatever your your ego is going to declare. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit and you're not your own. When you own that understanding, then you can quit asking, what have I got to do? You start asking, Lord, what would you have me do? Because you are owned, you were purchased in the slave market by the blood of Christ and you have an owner now. As you read on in the scripture, you'll come across things like this. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Now, when you go back into the law, you see all the things the priests had to do to become ceremonially clean. Do you have to do any of that? No. Why? Because the Holy One has put you on. You are his garment. If you sully that garment, what do you do? You ask forgiveness and you get right back in the game. Because he wears you as his expression of himself in the earth. You're a Trojan race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Now, the Holy Spirit is the representative of the Godhead who deals with us functionally and personally. Now, with that comes this understanding. God, the Holy Spirit, is the only existing power by which the sin nature is ever controlled in the earth. Since you're squinting, let's look at it again. God, the Holy Spirit, is the only existing power by which that sin nature is ever controlled. In the death, burial, and resurrection, the sin nature was judged that's why the scripture says when you come to Christ, you have a new nature. You have been translated out of the kingdom of the darkness into the kingdom of light. And in that new environment, you have a new definition of self. So it's totally inappropriate for you to spend the rest of your life saying, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, that that's initially true, but that is not the identification of you. That's like saying um, My name is Lanny. I'm an alcoholic. I haven't had a drink for 17 years. Now, if I haven't had a drink for 17 years, am I still an alcoholic? No, but what am I doing? I'm identifying with my past, not my present or my future. When you come to Christ, he says you are a new creature. Your baptism is the burial of the old you and he resurrects the new you. And from that point forward, you have a different identity. You are the heir of God. You're the son and daughter of your heavenly father and you represent his kingdom. He erases your history. Rahab was a harlot, right? That's how she supported her family. She was a whore. How did she get to be the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ? Because she received his people and agreed to identify with his people. So when they slaughtered everybody in the city, she and her household were saved. And we call that they hung the scarlet thread on the window so they would know not to kill this household. That's the, that's the scarlet thread of redemption on display in a practical way. Now, if God will do that for a prostitute who was not born again, deliver her and bring her into his kingdom and let her become part of the blessing of, it, of the nation to which she adopted, what do you think he'll do for you? I get so weary of Christians who hang on to the memory of their past and let it be the definition of who they are today. There is a new definition. Once your name got written down in the book of life, all your your history got expunged from the record. You're not going to give an account for any of that stuff because Jesus took your punishment for you. We've got to get a hold of this stuff and start living To the standard to which we have been given access, rather than the memory of why we needed access. Now, let this sink in so that you don't say, oh God, where did you go? God the Holy Spirit is himself never tarnished by so much as a shadow of the evil he suppresses in you. There is nothing about you that contaminates him. And he is the one that eliminates decontamination from you. And the process is ongoing. How many of you are better behaved today than you were 15 years ago? Because you've really exerted self-control? No, your self-control never works. If it does, it's short time. That's why we have New Year's resolutions. (laughs) Willpower is no substitute for spiritual transformation. And his job is to transform you into the image of Christ. And that's why we have the responsibility to say yes to that transformation process. How many of you know it comes with a price? I've said this for years and I'm still sincere. I hate the process, but I value the treasure. Now, all this sounds up there hypothetical et cetera, but you know, Pastor Jay was quoting Bill Johnson, I think it was last week a week before, and I thought it was a I thought it was a wonderful synopsis of a truth we, we all recognize. Words Create worlds in which people live. Words create worlds in which people live. If you're constantly demeaned and depreciated by authority figures in your life. Does that help shape your identity? Absolutely. But if you are affirmed and encouraged. Given the opportunity to excel. And celebrate the, the victories you have. Does that help shape your life? Okay. So if words create worlds in which people live. The word of God should be creating a world in which we live. So let me. Let me take some things from the scripture. That are words designed to craft the world in which we live. In Hebrews chapter 1. It says of Jesus Christ. That he is the radiance of the Father's glory, the exact representation of his nature, and he uphold he himself, Christ upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. So where is Jesus seated? Can you visualize that? Does that affect the way you think about the location of the Lord? It's a very strong image, because most of us have some exposure to the concept of thrones and people sitting on them. In Ephesians chapter 3, again, I want to call this to you. Which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, above all rule and authority and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put him... All, put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, in speaking of Christ seated at the right hand, the scriptures describe this reality. That he is above all authority, all rule, all power, all dominion, everything that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. So when Jesus walks over to the edge and looks, is everything beneath him? Absolutely. Now, what does it mean when the scripture says, you got that picture, get this one. And all things in subjection under his feet and gave him to be the head over the body. Which body is Jesus the head of? All right. Now, the head and the body are connected by what agent? God, the Holy Spirit, is the one that connects us to the head because we are his body and we're to be the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now. If he's the head over all rule and authority, power, principality in in this age and the age to come, and he's there, and we're here, where are that rule and authority? The principalities and powers, where are they? They are between us and him. Because we're here, and he's there. And what's the means of communication through the fog? God the Holy Spirit. So it's imperative that we have a personal relationship with God the Holy Spirit so we know how to agree with what the head is saying to tell the body to do in order to squash this thing in the middle and put his kingdom on display. Now those words should create a world in which we live. The reality of our existence in the earth is that our response to the Holy Spirit allows us to agree with the head and when you cut him out of the picture, you're left with just the scripture. Now I honor the scripture. It is the word of God, but I often need a word of God in the moment. If all I do is operate on scriptural principles, I might be exercising the wrong principle at the wrong moment in time. Because what I needed was the word of God in the moment. Remember, he led you in the wilderness for 40 years to teach you this one thing. You shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And God is still speaking. But you cut the Holy Spirit out and all you have is this printed on a page. And occasionally... And it just leapt off the page at me. I'd read it a thousand times and suddenly I understood it. Praise God for a moment of clarity. But in the relationship with God the Holy Spirit, our job is to learn to listen and obey because he knows what's going on in the mind of God. He is in agreement with the intentions of the Father. Jesus is wanting to communicate his strategy to those of us who exercise the tactics. And that person That strategy, that revelation of the Father's intent, comes to us through the Holy Spirit. Not through memorizing Scripture. But you need to memorize Scripture or else you will agree that the Holy Spirit can tell you to do something that is direct conflict with the Scripture. I have listened to this nonsense for decades. Remember this pastor ran off with his secretary. Thank you, darling. Ran off with his secretary. It was a big scandal. He didn't lose his position in the church because his definition was God called me to ministry, not to marriage. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Mm -hmm. Who can know it? God knows. And sometimes we'll allow people to say things like that and continue on as if there's been no indictment on their credibility, no misrepresentation of the Lord, no violation of biblical protocols. It's just nonsense because we, we choose to be ignorant rather than informed. I'm going to sum it up like this. The powers of darkness know the end game. We're the ones who are ignorant if we don't listen to the coach. The powers of darkness know the end game. You may recall that on a certain occasion, Jesus went into a location and two demonized men came out of the tombs toward him. And one of the demons spoke through the through the man and said to Jesus. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Have you come to torment? What do we have to do with you? Have you come to torment us before the time? Now, the devil knows. His jig is up. The only hope he has is to delay things. And the way he can delay it. Is by making sure we stay on the injured reserve list and not in the game. But if you'll learn to listen to the coach, he knows exactly what call to play. What play to call in any given situation. And you frustrate the opportunity of darkness. To keep you out of the game. Is the Holy Spirit omniscient? Is he omnipresent? If he is the attributes of God, omniscient, omnipresent and omnipotent, then it's appropriate to call the eternal spirit. God, the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to pause there. And when I return next week, we're going to pick up some things about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. But here's a final thought. Has it ever occurred to you to wonder why the scripture does not say the angels cry, holy is the Lord? Listen carefully. I see your eyebrows raising. Has it ever occurred to you to wonder why the scripture does not say the angels cry, holy is the Lord? Rather, they cry, holy is the Lord. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Ron, do you have something to share with us? Oh, there it is. Let me see if that's on. It is now.
1: This is a really awesome word that came in um, Yesterday. But it applies today um, so well. And so, how are we connected to the Godhead? What's the vine? Okay, so the Holy Spirit is our connection. Let me read this picture this um, picture that was received. I saw a picture of hearts, all plump, like heart balloons different sizes and colors, plus some multicolored ones. Some hearts were attached to a vine, connected to the vine as believers are, such as in John 15. Some were floating over the vine or distanced from it. I sense that the colors have to do with calling, the way a heart is called to love or serve. The size of the heart increased by the breath of the Holy Spirit, but only if connected to the vine. Only the hearts attached to the vine were united by the vine and therefore strengthened together. They seem to grow and shrink with time depending on their connection to the vine. Hearts could be dull in color and brilliance, but change to beauty in color and bright with light, the more infused to the vine they were. In the mixed were hearts with dark areas, which could be totally clean and clear, shining bright if choosing to be connected to the vine. Abide in Christ equals abiding in love. What I found very interesting about this word was not all the beautiful symbology, which completely reflects what we uh, Pastor Lanny was teaching on today, is that clumped together in this picture were hearts near each other, visible, seen. Some were connected to the vine. Others were not. And I would propose to you that it's very, you're very, it's, it's very possible to come to church to read the written word, to walk along with people that you've been like-minded with in your life, in the culture of religion, and had not been connected to the vine. It was also possible in this picture to, well, we know that Just like Pastor Lanny was talking about with his computer, his laptop battery, he needed to plug in again. We do have to plug in. We do have to refresh ourselves in the Holy Spirit. This entire world is created to be one great distraction that will pull you away from plugging in again or staying plugged in, or staying fresh with the Holy Spirit. I thought that was a great word to visualize a lot of what Pastor Lanny was speaking about today.
0: I'm aware... Have any of you ever heard negative reports on Pentecostals? Okay. Um, One of the challenges that I had to face personally when accepting the dictates of the Lord to pastor an Assembly of God church was I knew immediately I would be identified with all of that stuff you just chuckled about. And in my experience through Charismania, and in my exposure to Pentecostals, there's a lack of clarity about what it means to relate to the Holy Spirit and to represent the Lord. And much of what I have personally observed, I have found offensive to my senses. In the journey, I have encountered men and women who have become disenfranchised from the spirit realm because of the offenses they have picked up on the basis of the immaturity and abuse, spiritual abuse, of those who have misrepresented the Lord or failed to go on into maturity. I have a friend that I dearly care about and highly regard in the realm of his uh, pastoral ministry. But as a young man in a charismatic church, he got wounded. Any of you ever been wounded by religious people? Abused by spiritual leaders? So the practice the last I knew within his congregation is if you raise your hand, they'll tell you where the bathroom is. And if you fall on the floor, they'll call nine one one. Now, those t- two simple statements reflect an attitude that we're not going to have any of his manifestations in this house. And the Lord will let you do that. Okay. I said that. To say this, if you are personally carrying some kind of wound or offense on the basis of the kind of things that can occur when you hang around those kinds of people. I want to ask you to forgive them and to ask the Holy Spirit to let you start afresh In connecting with him. My. Virtually daily prayer. Is that he will turn our hearts to him. So that we can become more intimate. With him. And have greater clarity. In him. Because if we're not practicing the in him. We're on our own. Living by reason. Rather than by revelation. So if you'll indulge me, Pastor, I'd like to just pray over us before you come to do communion. Father, I'm so grateful. So, so deeply grateful for your many kindnesses to us over the decades we've shared life together with you. I'm so thankful for the attentive care that you have exercised in helping us to become more appreciative of who you are. For having invested so freely in this house over the decades to create in us an expectancy for your presence, a thanks, a, an attitude of thanksgiving for even the smallest thing we perceive as your activity. I thank you for all the rigors we've gone through to try to come to a place of greater understanding of what it means to represent you in a fashion that is clearly spiritual, but is not frenetic. In this moment of grace, I ask you, God the Holy Spirit, to awaken in us a fresh desire to relate more intimately with you. That you might give us greater revelations of Christ and the Father. That you might help us identify more closely with the calling you have on each of us and what we as a people are to be together. I speak, I speak of Father's blessing over this household and all they represent in the various spheres of influence you have assigned to each of us. I pray for greater increases of your manifest presence and greater wisdom on how to administrate that presence. I ask, Lord, that there would be an awakening in us for the hour in which we live will not be taken captive by the darkness that's at work in this culture. But we will be able to hear what heaven is saying and give the amen of God in the earth. To this end, Lord, I commend each of us afresh and to your tender care, your divine protection, your supernatural provision and our global awakening to the kingdom of God and the household of the father being put on display to the glory of God in Jesus name. Amen. Pastor Jay.